Let's give it up one more time for the St. Jacques. Thank you, you guys. Well, all right. Good morning, Kalos Church. Thank you so much for this opportunity to bring this message to you guys today. First and foremost, it is an honor and it is a privilege. We are very humbled to be able to bring this to you guys. And thank you so much, Pradeepin, for the introduction. Uh, blessings to Pastor Amritha, who's recovering at home today. We are going to be talking to you guys based on rebuilding series about rebuilding relationships. So before we get into that, we're going to share a little bit about ourselves. So as Pradeepan introduced you, uh, us, my name is Christian St. Jocks, and this is Dr. Renee St. Jocks. She is a psychologist, and I am a psychotherapist. So that is just a fancy way we work in the field, the mental and emotional health. Uh, we see individuals as well as couples, clients. I work with men specifically. She works with women. In some contexts, we actually work as co-therapists working with couples. So a little bit about our backgrounds. So why we entered into counseling in the first place. We had corporate backgrounds. We worked in digital marketing. We've made this transition since uh, in the past few years, specifically based on a tenet that is the foundation of our relationships. So we came from we came from backgrounds of brokenness. We came from dysfunction. We came with a lot of uh, baggage in our relationship, but baggage that we worked through in process entering into the foundation when we actually entered into the context of our relationship very early on, working through that stuff. So not only through the process of what has God had done to encounter us through our relationship with Jesus and the process of the Holy Spirit, but using mechanisms like counseling, like therapy to work through things, like father wounds, like mother wounds, both being products of divorce. And so now we stand for you to, before you guys today. We are working out what God worked through in us, and now we are, we, want, we are giving back through our practice, and we want to add value to our communities. And again, we thank you so much today for us to add value to you guys today in the, in the context of this message. So the name of this message is, What is this really about? So this is in the context of relationship. Where is this coming from? So in a way, we understand the strain that COVID has had. And we look at that more in the context of a macro level. So a macro level global traumatic event that has impacted everyone in very similar, but also in very different ways. But then a micro level, it's actually individually hitting us right here, individually, relationships with ourselves and relationships with one another. What's unique in the context of COVID is that it caused us to isolate. And it caused us to go into spaces with relationships may or may not have been in the best standing, or what we call, call emotionally healthy. And so we'll get to that a little bit more today, but reflecting on that, and for all of you guys, how did COVID impact you? There's a lot of issues, and we can speak about the implications of social, economic, racial, racial tensions, and all of that brings a lot to the surface that we may or may not be aware of. And so it exacerbates in the, that in the context of both indirectly, Right? So whether we're vocalizing what's actually going on within us or directly. And that directly is in the context of when we engage in specific conflict with one another. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. But what we're attributing is identifying the indirect, direct conflict implications of where it's coming from. So we got a slide here. This is what we look at. And many of you guys in this church, I think actually Pastor Pradeep and Amrita have showed something like this before. And uh, in previous messages. So this is an iceberg. So we use this in the context as a metaphor. So in counseling, we work with clients and individually, this is something that we talk to right away. And there on the surface is what, we, what, met, what, what shows up in ourselves in the context of conflict, indirectly or directly, as secondary emotion. So secondary affect. 
So secondary affect shows the way which we most commonly see as anger or sadness. But well beneath the surface tells a different story, right? So secondary emotion, primary emotion. What's under that is rejection, feeling boxed in, frustration, annoyance. A very profound one, which we'll speak to today, is shame. And so beneath the surface is identifying that which comes up indirectly and directly in conflict. And what we are going to share to you today about what happens in that space produces ruptures. And ruptures in relationship over time exacerbate that which is not identified because we are not really getting to the root. And that's what we're going to talk about today is getting to the root. The importance of understanding where a person is coming from. Your story, their story coming together. Because if we know where someone is coming from, it's not about whether we agree. It's about coming to a place of empathy and compassion, increasing a sense of self-awareness and other-centered awareness. Because we can get in the, the heat of the battle in relationships, marital relationships, uh, relationships with friends, and we can try to win the argument, but ultimately we'll lose a person's heart in the process. Not that problem solving doesn't matter. We believe in engaging the prefrontal cortex, but if you can operate in a space where you feel seen and heard, and that person feels seen or heard, it builds upon the ability to engage and, and repair relationships. We talked about the rupture and repair. And so with that, that comes when, with a specific skill, and Renee's gonna introduce that skill to you today called emotional intelligence. So, I'm going to turn it to her to speak on that. Thank you, Christian. Well, I, as you can tell by now, we have a lot here, and I want to encourage you to take some notes. If any of this resonates with you, whether you're married or not, you can get something out of this. I know that God is going to speak to each and every one of you. I've prayed that. Um, so emotional intelligence is this, uh, how I define it, is the skill of perceiving, understanding, and managing your thoughts and your emotions, and to be able to judiciously and empathetically be in relationship with other people. We believe that emotional intelligence could change the world. It can change the church. It can change your home. It can change your marriage. It can change your parent, uh, parenthood. It will change everything. Uh, and so I want you to just imagine for a moment or just consider for a moment some of the most formative experiences of your life. Often, these are very painful, like a divorce or an abuse or a trauma. In a, a room this, of this size, I already know that there is that in this room. And I want to in, encourage you to just consider for a moment who was that formative, uh, who was that, that uh, key player in that formative experience? And ask yourself this, how high was that particular person's emotional intelligence? Most often, not <laughs> not high. And oh, how different things would have been if so. It would have been a game changer. Because hurt people hurt other people. So being products of hurt, we can break that cycle when we lean into the process of transformation, which has been a game changer for me and Christian even early on in our relationship. Um, and so I want to encourage all of us to think about that. In relationships, there are ruptures. It's normal. We, we counsel a lot of couples and sometimes they'll say, we don't fight. 
Okay, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. Because that means that you are not really talking about the real issues. I'm not saying we duke it out just for duking out sake, but we really need to lean into the discomfort of that. And so uh, it's not about the lack of ruptures. It's about what are we doing to repair? What are we doing to rebuild on a consistent basis? Or else what ends up happening, we have seen this in our friends and we've had lots and lots of friends who have gone divorces recently, um, but just have been in the people that we counsel, where there is a reservoir of built up, build, built up backlog of resentment in the relationship, and it's very, very deadly to the relationship. So I want to share it as a premise of all of what we're going to do today is a story about one of the very first fights that we had at it as a married couple, and it had to do with the laundry. I made the mistake of discoloring Christian's white shirt. He brings it to me innocently, and he's like, you're just stating a fact. It's not white anymore. <laughs> and I pretty much blow up at him and say, you know what? You should do your own laundry. You should be thankful I do your laundry. I mean, I had all, all that just puffing up, um, and, and it was messy. A lot more messy than it had to be. But I want to use that as a thread in what we're going to share here uh, to help illustrate the aspects of this framework that Christian's about to, to introduce to us. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Renee. So with that, the laundry story, that's going to be a thread throughout the message. And we want to introduce here, first and looking like this slide here, marital and relational health framework. This is going to be established the baseline of a, uh, the message today. So look in the first part here, rupture. Rupture starts with the power of thoughts and the power of feelings, and the latter of which is engaged in the power of Clear, clear communication, and the power of validation. So I'm going to start here talking about the power of thoughts, okay? Why start here? We begin here because typically, in a lot of ways, this is the source. Under feelings, if we feel or act and angry or we're triggered, typically there is an underlying thought. And this is a process of a term called metacognition. It's really a simple term of Translating it, the story we tell ourselves. And so we're in the heat of battle, we're angry, we're discomforted, we're, we're feeling as in a certain way, but we're projecting in a way, whether it's we're in indirect or in, indirect or direct conflict. Again, we, play, we place that as, a, as an area of emphasis because sometimes people don't fight. I, I don't get angry. I don't fight. But there's always that, that which in itself, there's still something beneath the surface. And we still are telling a story, and that story plays out in what we identify as we call cognitive distortions. So that can look like fortune telling. This person is never going to change. Prognosticating the future here in this moment in time, this person is going to stay the way they are. What did I get myself into? Projections. You're just like your dad. This person's just like my mom. Same situation. What did I get myself into here? So projecting here and understanding, identifying, taking captive our, our thoughts, because if we believe and we think differently, we can act, behave, and show up differently, specific relationships, not just marriage, in all relationships. So I'll flip this slide. We'll read this verse here, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this work, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There you'll be able to test and approve God's will, is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in context, application here, God knew something about the renewing of the mind. 
And we use that as a term we call uh, neuroplasticity. The neural pathways in our brain to, to, to fire in a different way because if we can replace the thoughts and identifying the feelings underneath, and Renee's gonna talk to, about, uh, talk to that a little bit more, but the implications of the process of transformation and how that changes how we show up. So when you think about that in the context of the story we tell ourselves, challenging and reframing that which gets us in trouble, reflecting back to Renee, the laundry story. So tell me, what was the story you were telling yourself? I was telling myself, I really, really had the self-awareness at the time, which I did not, is uh, I'm a bad wife. I can't even do this right. And of course, we have preconceived notions of what a womanhood is, but that's what I was really telling myself. And I'm telling myself, this is the way it is. She's not going to change. How is this showing up for us right now? She can't even get my, 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 my shirt right. Did nobody teach you to separate colors from whites? So all of this on the surface of the conflict, but what's really showing up here is in, in the internal narrative. <laughs> so now we're going to switch a little bit more from the thought process, the metacognition, the story you're telling yourself, because under the thought is the feeling. And the attribution of that is, this isn't the only feeling, but Renee's going to play into that and talk about the story you tell yourself in terms of the, the, the role that emotions and feelings play. So. I heard this uh, word recently about being a thought detective. And it's very interesting, when you ana analyze the story you tell yourself, there's a role of shame in that story. And typically that's what shows up, is shame. Shame is the one that's behind the scenes saying, you're a bad this, you're a bad that. And so that's really, really what was at play. And of course, if I had shared that, hey, I feel shame and I feel like a bad wife, that would have cut through a lot of um, the messiness. Um, so sh the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is I did something wrong. And shame is I am wrong. Who I am is bad. I'm wrong, bad, right? Um, and so that comes from a very vulnerable place. But I want to talk about the second aspect, which is the power of feelings. And so kind of two sides of the coin. If you know your thoughts and you, there are some feelings that, sh that come as a consequence. But, for example, if I'm treating somebody with depression or anxiety, I got to get to know with what that story they're telling themselves. Because if they're telling themselves walking around saying everything's my fault, I'm responsible for everybody's happiness, I'm bad, of course you're going to be depressed. And so when you think about the brain, take a look at uh, this image here of the brain. Uh, I love showing this because really the amygdala is the emotional center of the brain. So when you're in fight or flight and you're really triggered by your spouse, it's because the amygdala is like in full-blown like animalistic mode, right? And then the prefrontal cortex, which is that rational part of the brain where you can think with executive functioning, is pretty much offline. We see that a lot in kids. So we've got a three and five-year-old, and we've got our share of toddler meltdowns in the last five years. I mean, big time. What's happening there is that they're really in that amygdala, but their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. So it's just fascinating for me and Christian. We have taught our kids, of course, if uh, your parents are both therapists, they knew their feeling words before they knew their ABCs, for sure. They knew it before the alphabet. Because as soon as you can uh, basically name your emotion, you can recruit that prefrontal cortex, and Im almost immediately I can see them calm down. It's, it's fascinating, even with a, a prefrontal cortex that's still developing. And so uh, when we think about couples, and we are, we are really kind of navigating, mediating fights with couples that we're seeing, 
many times we're saying, hey, you know, you are in that fight or flight mode at the point where you are more physiologically ready for a fist fight than you are in to empathize or validate the other person. So it is okay to calm down. It is okay to emotionally regulate yourself and take the time to calm down so that you can recruit your prefrontal cortex. Part of that is actually asking yourself, what am I feeling? So when I articulate that to Christian, I feel better and I'm able to think rationally and we can start making some headway in this conversation. The thing though, and this is even harder, is that feelings get a bad rap. I want to do a poll right here. How many of you grew up in a home where feelings were valued and validated, where you felt heard and seen in your feelings, no matter if they were happy or sad, angry, jealous? Raise your hand. No hands. Well, I thought that I would get like a few. I thought it was going to be just a few, but I got no hands in the room. And so this is not surprising. When we look at our society, we have this whole like toxic positivity. We have this good vibes only. And even in the church, I grew up in a Christian home. I was not allowed to be anything but happy. <laughs> and so I want to take a look at this verse here. In the Bible, it says, be, uh, be angry, but do not sin. It's not saying that the sin is anger. It's saying what you do with the angry feeling is, is sin. And so I always validate with that with our kids. Like, it is okay to feel jealous. What do you do with that? And so we're going to share a little bit more about that. But I want to also encourage you, like, even when you look at, like, the Psalms, Psalms is a sea of emotions, uh, anger, <laughs> sadness, everything. And he was a, David was a man after God's own heart. So this is really the heart of God, but unfortunately, we don't have it all right. When we view emotions as data, not directives, that's the power. We're not trying to just be like, oh, yeah, I'm not sad, so I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to act according to my sadness. But let's get curious to understand what is the, the data that I'm supposed to learn from this? What is going on? What's the story I tell myself? And so, because when you know your feelings, you know your needs, and, and we don't, we can't articulate that to our spouse. And Christian's about to talk about communication if we do not know our feelings. So take it away. So that plays into the latter half of our marriage, the marital and relational framework we're talking about. First talk about rupture. So we talked about the power of our thoughts, metacognition, the story we tell ourselves, the feelings that which is underneath. Now we get to the other side of it. Right? We work with individuals, we work with couples, the capacity to identify in the framework of clear communication, the power of clear communication. Now, often we find in the, in the heat of conflict, indirect or direct, the content is just the catalyst, but deriving that which if we can identify what is actually going on beneath and communicate that, then we can again, get to that process of re-engaging the prefrontal cortex and be able to identify what's actually happening beneath the root. Now, we say this in the context of cultivating this. It's established on a baseline knowing that you're entering a space that together in relationships with friends and family or marriages and couples, that it's in the framework of moving towards, moving towards a health, emotionally healthy, emotionally spiritual, healthy spiritual relationship here in the context of the church. Now, it's not a byproduct of either or, a representation therein of moving towards an emotionally healthy relationship is part of the process of engaging some of these dynamics, but it's also a reflection of a healthy relationship. So it's moving, for, it's moving toward as well as establishing. It's not an event, and we'll come back to that. It's part of the process. So not all relationships are healthy, and we recognize that, and we see that. 
You come from a pl we come we come from places of trauma induced by the impact of physical, virtual, ver uh, uh, verbal, sexual, and emotional abuse. In those situations, that takes a little bit more intervention, and that's really not established a baseline where maybe this framework is going to be effective in that context. It's going to take something to kind of circumvent that process and in, 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 in interjections of such to, uh, to, to break uh, that uh, abusive cycle. But here in this context, again, coming back to indirect and direct clear communication, so there's a quote there, some of you guys are familiar with Brene Brown, that she says that clear is kind. Right? So, because otherwise, what happens in the heat of conflict or that which we are not verbalizing, the microaggressions and passive aggressiveness, or we just, just, just shove it down beneath the surface, or we get into the heat of the rupture, and then all of a sudden, it's, you know, we, in some natural ways, our amygdala might dissipate and the feelings uh, go away, but we don't really address what happened. Let's just sweep it under the rug. Let's not, we, we won't speak to it. Now, this is where we're going to talk about the communal communication. The emphasis here on this. Next slide is this statement, I feel I need. I feel I need. In the ways we talk about in counseling is way, I feel, I need, I want, I desire. This is a manifestation which we find in relationships we call bids, moving towards. Again, I feel I need. So we've been helping our kids use these words. So we sit with our daughter and we want her to identify her feelings. So I feel, a common one is you feel jealous in the heat of the battle, your brother, I feel jealous, I need what? Assurance. Now, is that a condoning of her action? So she might act in consequence of her jealousy. That's not okay. There's consequences for the action they're in, but we are curious, we want to know where, why, where it came from. So that has implications in how we see it in a microcosm, we see it in our kids, but we see it in a society as way. As way. The focus on the latter of the consequence, but we don't know why it's happening. Where is it coming from? I feel, I need, I want, I desire. Again, the emphasis there, the process of turning towards that person, moving towards. It's not that we agree. It's not that we are in full, uh, uh, full notion of that what, the uh, problem solving, of what, uh, the, the outcome of the conflict. But it's saying that we are willing to articulate and be able to, in a safe space to show, to show up and identify the root. Because if otherwise we internalize these things, and we see this in couples, we couples, and not just couples, but a lot of relationships, because we sit in, in kind, when we begin to observe, we begin irritated by things, the stories play out, the, 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 the cognitive distortions, and observations become judgments. And judgments, otherwise, they become internalized or they get externalized as criticism, accusations, labeling, and ultimately a lot of times we just see people stonewall. So they leave the situation, but there's no time frame where we can take a time out and come back. We just blew up, or we just felt in that flight mode, submit, freeze, we're just gonna stand away from the situation and, and stonewall the person and we're not gonna re-engage. But ultimately what that, we, what that seeds into is this feeling of contempt towards one another. And that builds up, the reservoir builds up, whether it's a, a massive rupture or it's just those little ruptures that build up in a relationship over time. It changes the way our emotions, our body reacts to that person. You love that person, but you're realizing you, that your body's working out in kind that I don't like you very much anymore. And when you get to a place of contempt in a relationship, 
So there is a research institute based in the University of Washington, the Gottman Research Institute. So they research relationships. And the number one reason which breaks down a relationship which leads to divorce is contempt. Because at that point, well, I'll read the definition of contempt to you. The feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless or deserving of scorn. We would never say that's what we want to project upon someone, but over time, again, it's those ruptures, not articulating the feelings underneath, it just builds up. And the dynamic from which we see each other begins to break down. So, back to the laundry story. What did you feel? What did you need? On the, above the surface, I felt anger. You could see it very clearly. Um, I was having basically an adult tantrum. Uh, but on, the, on below the surface, uh, I felt shame. I felt shame. So I should have said, I feel shame, and I need assurance uh, that you love me, that you're confident in me, that you uh, love me even if I discolor your shirt. Yeah. The good thing is you can get there during the fight, and you can post-process, and you get there after the fight as well. The question is, at the end of the day, in turn, and Renee's going to talk about this, can I hold that space for her? Can I validate? Am I predisposed to creating an environment that I will also facilitate and maintain an emotionally healthy and safe environment for her as well? Because I could certainly weaponize that vulnerability and for future reference. And sometimes we see that. And we work through that in couples, with, with couples and individuals as well, both with regards to kind of working out the perception, the intention of the impact, the intention, but ultimately the impact that it carries, carries to that person. So I'll turn that back over to Dr. Renee to talk about uh, the power of validation. Yes, so. let's talk about the power of validation, which is the fourth and final part of our framework. Uh, so we just talked about rupture, we just talked about repair, and the key aspect in repair besides com clear communication is validation. So validation is simply seeing the lived experience of the other person. Uh, this is not different than apologizing. I think many people, when we apologize, we apologize like a teenager. We say, sorry, 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 okay, get out of the <laughs> shame limelight, right? You just want to get out, like, sorry, okay, I'm sorry. Okay, get over it, like literally get over it. Um, and that's not the same as validation. Um, so let's look at this image next, um, em empathy versus dismissing, dismissive listening. I think we're very guilty of this, whether it's saying, hey, let's get ice cream, young kid who's upset. Um, let's let's um, find the silver lining in your friend who just got broken up by the fourth boyfriend. And there's other people you can date. I mean, just whatever it might be, we are very, very uncomfortable with people being not okay. So when we're not okay, when we're not okay because they're not okay, we want to make them okay because it's about us, not them. This happens in our listening, in terms of validating and being empathetic in our listening. It also happens in our conflict. So if you look at the myths of uh, validation, uh, I, I see this, I do a lot of coaching in the corporate space, and there's a lot of myths around, uh, around validation. Let's review that now. Myths are around, it's, it's conceding, it's, it's giving in. Um, I don't want to say that they're right and I'm wrong, right? I don't wanna admit that. A lot of us, we fight, it with our significant other because we want to win. The truth is, we all know this, if we win, anybody wins, nobody wins, we all lose. And so I wanna encourage you, it's about saying something along the lines of impact and intention are 100% different. Although I didn't intend to hurt you, I recognize and validate the and own the impact I've had on you. 
this works like magic. If we have the humility that Christ, Christ wants us to have and empowers us to have to even, to even display that, it dismantles the whole thing. There is no fight anymore. There's no messiness anymore. It just, the whole thing crumbles and we're able to actually see each other. That's the key here is for people to feel seen and heard. That's, that's why there's so much fighting, so much of the noise, so much of the, the, the uh, periphery content, whether it's sex or finances or whatever, it's because they want to feel seen. They want to see, feel heard. And so as we land the plane here and look at this final framework of marital and relational health, I want to just encourage us where do we need to say, what's the, what's the story we tell ourselves? What's the feeling, right? We can recruit that prefrontal cortex uh, and calm ourselves down, regulate our emotions so we can show up with that emotional intelligence. And then also, how can we clearly communicate without passive aggressiveness, I feel, I need. And then fourthly, what does it look like for us to see the other person, to see the lived experience, not to fix it. It's not about fixing or agreeing. It's about just making them feel heard and validating the impact that's there. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Renee. And so with that, we really want to close this out with some final thoughts here. And this is something we emphasize with couples and a reflection back to you guys today that this is easier said than done. And we understand that this is just an introduction because we didn't learn this growing up. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a muscle we had to flex over time, and it's a muscle that we have to continue to flex over the process of our relationship. It's not only retrospective, the work that we do in the relationship, but the work that we have to do in on ourselves. So God in himself started a good work in you. The Holy Spirit is working out in you. He can use other catalysts to work through the process, which are the therapist, your pastors, your friends, your relationships. It's all an opportunity, and it can get messy but even the context of not getting it right, it's not about perfection. We lean into the progress, the moving towards, the turning towards one another, turning towards your friend, turning towards your children, turning towards your relationship, that process of turning towards and emphasizing that this, a part of this process is getting us to this place where we deploy compassion, empathy, grace, forgiveness. And I wanna emphasize this, and we emphasize this in ourselves, in our counseling practice, Forgiveness, repentance in of itself. We sometimes misconstrue that this has to be an event in time as part of our testimony. You know, it's a process. It's a process of repentance. It's a process of forgiveness. It's a process of empathy and compassion, constantly moving towards one another and willing an extension to give grace through the process of going through these dynamics because you're not going to always get it perfect every single time. So what we hope is that this is a gift and that we honor the space you've given us today and we work towards the emphasis on rebuilding. So let this be an introduction to rebuilding relationships and I'm gonna end this by sharing this slide from Nehemiah 2. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had sent to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding so that they began the good work. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem and the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked, are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. So emphasize that, the process of rebuilding relationships, doing the good work, there's gonna be resistance. 
There's an enemy out there that does not want to enter into this space, does not want to deploy these areas of entering in to validate, to move towards each other, to validate, to give us that spirit of, entering into that spirit of forgiveness and reparation. But God is your champion. You're not alone in this. And in the context of our relationship, work in this framework, but also know that God is for you in this space as well. He is part of that process of rebuilding because we believe if we change patterns of relationship, we're also, it's not just about improving the nature of my marriage or improving the reflections of that on my children. We are breaking generational patterns. It's an establishment for the future of your family's legacy, for yourself and your friendships, and ultimately for the life and eternity that is promised to us in heaven. We're moving towards that and that promise of kingdom mindset. So with that, we end. We thank you so much. And I want to reflect back to you. We, we are cycle breakers. Thank you so much.